Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. We will be reading verses 1 to 21. May God bless both the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. And God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid I will make a nation also, because he is your descendant. So Abraham rose early in the morning, took bread and a skin of water, and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder and gave her the boy, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin was used up, and she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, about a bowshot away, for she said, Do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him, and lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the lad crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, and said to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew, and lived in the wilderness, and became an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you now again to uh, join me in a time of prayer uh, as we ask for God's blessing upon the word this morning. Oh Lord, we bow before you this morning to worship you. We praise you, God, for delivering us from the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your beloved Son our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your gracious love and the blessings which you continually pour out upon your people. Thank you for giving us our daily provisions of food and clothing and shelter. We ask that you bless these offerings that were given this morning for the advancement of your kingdom and for the aid of those who are in need. We ask you to remember the sick among us and heal them in order to bring them back to good health. May their 
physical life prosper as you've caused their souls to also prosper. Bless our families, O God, from the children all the way to the grandparents, that they might all be found walking in the truth. We ask for your fatherly protection from every danger in this fallen world, especially from the spiritual dangers that surround us. We ask you to bless us with Christ-like love for one another, that each of us might seek the good of our neighbor, and in so doing, that we reflect the image of our Savior. Now, Father, bless your holy word to us in this hour. Send it forth in power, working in us that which is pleasing in your sight, and guiding us to do your will. Amen. The, uh, the world is littered with broken promises, and uh, in that sense, the world is also littered with uh, broken hearts. Uh, all of us are reminded, particularly uh, adults, uh, know that uh, on occasion people promise us things, and sometimes they're well-meaning, but for whatever reason, uh, the promises are to no avail. Uh, we also know that uh, sometimes uh, people uh, promise uh, things to us, um, and they are nothing more than lies meant to deceive us. And uh, so sometimes our hopes and wishes are dashed, but such is the way of a fallen world. When we come to this chapter, we have a remarkable truth uh, that breaks upon us. And that is that the Word of God is true. In this case, a son is born. And not only is he born, his preeminence is established. So there is a tension between uh, age and impossibility. Both Abraham and his wife Sarah are long since uh, beyond uh, the age by which a man and woman could sire a child. But God is not beholden uh, to human abilities and inabilities. And here, promise. The promise that we have uh, been given uh, uh, in the Scriptures that come to us by way of Abraham and Sarah, the promise of a son, uh, here is uh, fulfilled. And it reverberates throughout uh, all of the canyons of time. It's a constant echo that the promises of God always meet fulfillment. And in that sense, it teaches us a marvelous lesson, and that is that we can smile uh, at adversity because we're the sons of God. Uh, in verses 1 to 7, the word of God is true, evidenced in the birth of Isaac. Uh, time and again, God has uh, rehearsed his uh, covenantal promise to Abraham. Uh, but time and again, tension builds over biological impossibility. But God acts because he is sovereign over uh, everything including biological impossibility. Uh, the text uh, reads, in the New American Standard, the Lord took note. Uh, I think a better translation is, the Lord visited Sarah. Because it's a marker for us, I think, in a more pronounced uh, way that God can do miracles. He can intervene. When everything seems impossible... God is not bound by impossibilities. 
And he intervenes just as he had promised. Testimony to his sovereignty. That he can overrule natural law and circumstances. Uh, By the way, that's really what a miracle is. That God can overrule natural law. He establishes natural law in his creation. But he's not bound by it. God is bound by nothing. So he intervenes. Uh, Look with me, if you would, at another uh, use of this uh, great word to visit. Uh, Genesis chapter 50. I'm going to read verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you. Uh, A better translation to me is visit. He will visit you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you or again visit you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So God's going to visit and create a nation. And we know from the Old Testament that it's exactly what he did. Another use of this word to visit in the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 and verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. God visits His people with the great gift of salvation. So Sarah conceives and gives birth to a son. Uh, The commentary of Moses is also pronounced in the phrase at the appointed time. In exactly the time he had decreed from eternity past. Remind you that God doesn't wear a watch. He's not subject to time. There is no time with God. But he uses this language in the scripture to remind us of his sovereignty over time. That he can act at will. And nothing can stop him. Uh, it's also interesting in the Hebrew Bible, there's a shift in the name of God from Yahweh or Lord to Elohim. And the latter uh, noun, name for God, Elohim, is often associated with God as the creator. And then the phrase, just as God had spoken, testifies to the veracity of God and the power of his words. But it also reminds us that when God promises, He's able to meet the promise and fulfillment. So that He creates life from the deadness of Sarah's womb. Out of obedience, God names him Isaac. Turn back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 17, verse 17. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? He laughs. And so uh, the son is to be named Isaac, which uh, comes from the verb to laugh. Because Abraham laughed, his son is named, if you will, laughter. Uh, let's look at 18 and chapter 12. Pardon me, chapter 18 and verse 12, forgive me. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, 
After I have become old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord or my husband also being old? In other words, because uh, she laughs, her son is to be so named. Of course, the two of them were absolutely incredulous. Incredulous that God would meet His promise. But that's what God does. God is a promise maker and a promise fulfiller. And that's true for Abraham and his wife Sarah, and it's also true for each of us that are here this morning. It's, uh, I think, an implied uh, reminder to each of us to read and to study the Scriptures, for they are full of the promises of God, and they are also full of divine fulfillment. So now there is joy in the household of Abraham and Sarah. And so there is now laughter, laughter out of joyful remembrance that God has visited them and given to them a son. Out of obedience, uh, Isaac is uh, circumcised, portending God's ability to circumcise the heart. Uh, By the way, that's an incredible reminder of the importance of the gospel in turning to Christ. Uh, Little boys can be circumcised but only God can circumcise the heart and cut away the dominion of the flesh. We come to Christ and so coming, He cuts away the dominion of the old man Adam so that we have new life in God the Son. And we should have commensurate joy because of the majesty of His cutting away of the flesh. I believe that Abraham's obedience and our obedience is tied to God's ability to do the impossible. Sarah amplifies the name saying, God has made a laughter for me. And everyone who hears about what he has done will have joyful hearts as well. So the larger context is the fulfillment of the covenant of promise. As the history of the covenant of promise has now begun. Throughout uh, uh, Abraham and uh, Sarah's worrying over the promise, having fulfillment, uh, anticipating that they would have a son, there's now fulfillment. Because God's promises always end in fulfillment. Begins here, but doesn't end here. It anticipates the fullness of the joy that we should have in the history of redemption. It anticipates the many sons to the greater son of the new covenant. So the word of God is true. Always true. We should read it as it is true. And by application, we should have joy and laughter and adversity because God is sovereign. He can visit us at any time that he so wills. And we know that because he has saved us, he will give us all things respecting our redemption. So we can laugh at adversity and should laugh as a testimony to our faith. It's a fundamental to our faith because we know and we believe that God will never abandon us, that we believe that he will come for us, and we believe that he will resurrect us because his promises are certain. 
Because his word is true. Because he is our God. It's a great reminder of this in prophet Isaiah, chapter 33 and verse 2. O Lord, be gracious to us, the prophet prays. We have waited for thee. Be thou our strength every morning, our salvation also in a time of distress. What a great promise. It's a promise that is true. It breaks upon us in God the Son. Another great reminder of this from the book of Hebrews, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 2. I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. In the first part of verse 10. But we do see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. So the one great Son of God is going to bring many sons to glory. If you've had faith in Jesus Christ, you are a son of glory. You have a measure of it. You have a foretaste of it. But glory in the eternities is coming for you. And that promise will certainly meet fulfillment. Well, in terms of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 21, uh, there's a test. I've reminded you throughout our study of the book of Genesis that there's always a test. In large part, it's a redemptive test because Abraham has had a son of the flesh who's going to persecute the son of promise. So the tests come. Tests are going to come to you. Challenge your faith. Will you believe That's why you should read and study the Scriptures. Because you are confronted over and over again that God is true to His Word. That He takes care of His sons of promise, of whom all of us are numbered through faith in Christ. But the celebration for Isaac, Sarah sees the son of Hagar mocking Isaac. Uh, The word uh, mocking is an intensive a participle from the verb to laugh. Notice the irony. Abraham Sarah is laughed out of joy, and now the son of Hagar is going to laugh in derisive mocking of the son of promise. So it's a pejorative use of the verb to laugh. Uh, we've, we've looked at this uh, before. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 19. In verse 14, Lot goes to his uh, prospective sons-in-law. He tells them to get out of the city because God is going to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, Up, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be mocking, to be joking. Uh, Very interesting that Paul alludes to this text, the history of it, redemptively in Galatians chapter 4. Turn with me in the New Testament 
Paul is going to use the verses that we have just read. Galatians chapter 4, verse 29. But at that time, he was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. Paul changes the word, does he not, from mocking to persecute. The context is so important in Galatians chapter 4 is the Judaizers who are opposed to the freedom of the gospel and justification by faith alone are marked out as those who persecute true believers like you and me who believe that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Thus Ishmael and the Judaizers constitute a threat to God's people. And so Sarah tells Abraham to drive him out because he's not a son of promise. Remind you, one of the great threats to the church today, beyond historical threats, are spiritual threats that come from theological systems that mix works with the great doctrine of justification by grace alone. Metaphorically, we must separate Grace from works. We do not. The latter will corrupt the former. As many, many churches do today, sad to say. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone, is a divine event. Entirely of God. Entirely of God. And that even our faith by which we apprehend those promises are a divine event. Because faith is a gift from God and the product of our regeneration. And as God protects Isaac, he protects the church with the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, reminding us of the importance of the sole act of God in effecting our justification. Illustration of this today comes to us uh, from uh, history of the church. Uh, if you will, uh, Martin Luther, one of the great church fathers who believed that justification was by grace through faith alone. But he patched the torch uh, to one of his scholars by the name of Philip Melanchthon. And Melanchthon corrupted that great truth. And by and large, uh, Lutheranism today is Arminian because they forsook their forefather, Martin Luther. Reminder to us that the church always has enemies, sometimes well-meaning, sometimes scholarly from within, who unwittingly corrupt the truth of the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith alone, absent any work of ours so there's a tension with uh, Abraham. Ishmael too is his son, son of the flesh, but still a son. So Abraham is troubled, as the text reminds us. Uh, he knows that God has promised as well to bless Ishmael. Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Before I will bless him and I will make him fruitful, and will multiply him accordingly. 
And he shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But God promises also to take care of the son of the flesh, materially, physically. We know theologically that that's exactly what common grace is. And so God tells Abraham to listen to Sarah. Ironically, when he listened to her earlier, uh, he threatened to corrupt the promise. But now God tells him to listen to his wife. Listen to his wife. Nevertheless, God promises to provide for Ishmael. And he does. He does. Notice verse 13 of Genesis 21. And as the son of the maid, I will make a nation also because he is your descendant. God promises to take care of him. God's going to fulfill that promise and he does. In obedience, Abraham sends him away. In the wilderness, he and his mother run out of water. And God intervenes just as he promised Abraham that he would. Because the promises of God always meet fulfillment. He promised to make a nation out of him, therefore he's going to preserve him. It's exactly what he does. And God provides a well. What a remarkable, remarkable miracle. The ground is barren. There's nothing, but he makes a well because God can intervene. He intervenes spiritually for us in providing us redemption and regeneration through Christ. Here, he intervenes historically to create water when previously there was none. Redemptive interplay, I think, uh, from this language as well. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to uh, John chapter 4 in verse 10. Uh, Jesus goes to a well. A woman comes to the well with a checkered past. Jesus asks her to give him water. John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answers that to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The majesty of God the Savior. Water, of course, as you know, it's one of the principal elements that you and I need to live each and every day. Without it, we will certainly die. But there's a greater, greater promise of that in the symbolism of the fact that our body needs water, and that is living water. Water so that we can live forever. Water so that we will never die. Water so that our spirits can come alive and be refreshed and strengthened so that we too can have joy in our salvation. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 38, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scriptures have said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It's a reference to the great spirit who comes, gives us life, who sustains us. God only, God not only gives us life in his son, he preserves and protects that life through the gift of the spirit. So God blessed Ishmael in common grace. He provides for his physical needs. He gives him a wife, a skill, and a land to live in. But he also reminds us that he is outside of the covenant of promise. Meaning that you and I, in God the Son, have the eternal covenant of redemption and the promise that God will give us life 
and world without end. We have a measure of it in part, but the full-blown reality we wait for. But we wait in hope because we know as the sons of God that God's promises always meet fulfillment. So the greater lesson that the Word of God is true in the redemptive drama of this narrative. The greater lesson of the promised inheritance is the grace of God. He saves us. And that salvation is not a cooperative event as proclaimed by the Judaizers who want to mix faith alone and grace alone with works. This drama is set before us by the Apostle Paul clearly in the book of Galatians. He makes it very clear. Turn back to the book of Galatians in the third chapter. That we are saved by grace through faith alone. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Redemption, the work of God in grace. The promise of the Spirit, the work of God in grace. Look at verse 19. Why is the law then? It was added because of transgression, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise has been made. The seed is Christ. The demands of the law met by Him. The Levitical demands of the law closed out forever because of Christ and His fulfillment of the law. The analogical use of the Old Testament event of the two sons is a spiritual lesson for each one of us. For God alone has caused the miraculous birth of Isaac. Abraham and Hagar gave birth to a son of the flesh. But God alone causes us to be born again and to become sons of the promise. God alone is the author of the new birth. Notice Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this historical event of Genesis chapter 21 echoes until history because we are the sons of the promise as well. And by faith in Christ, we are the sons of Abraham, the new Israel. And all of the promises of God given to Abraham will be realized to us because we are his sons through Christ alone. We bring nothing. He brought everything. It's the essence of the gospel. It's a divine effort solely and entirely, not a cooperative one. Contextually, you cannot mix law and grace. Two different covenants. Not two different ways of salvation. There's only one way, and that is by faith alone in the work of Christ alone. And by faith, we are the true sons of Abraham. Not ethnically, but spiritually, because of our identification with Christ.
I read to you again from the book of Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are the children of promise. That promise will not and cannot be broken. As God's promise to Abraham and Sarah was fulfilled, this greater promise will be fulfilled as well. It has a way of securing our hearts. It has a way of stealing us to walk by faith and not by sight. It has a way of reverberating and echoing in our hearts that God will take care of us, that God will come for us, that His promises always meet fulfillment because He is God, that His Word is true. And all the promises of the world, meaning or ill-meaning, are not our hope. God is our hope. Our promise is sure and certain. And so we should laugh at adversity. We should laugh with joy because of the grace of God. In power, God births us by visiting us at the appointed time in our lives. He's the author of the new birth. We should laugh in joy and at adversity. Even the adversity of the failed promises of men and women. But God does not fail us. He cannot fail us because He is God. He promises peace to us. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace. Reconciliation. The enmity in Christ is over forever. We have, Paul says, peace with God. We're not children of guilt because of Christ. Because peace envelops us. He promises us justification through faith in Christ. And so he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. If you're not a son of God through faith in Christ, I would remind you, outside of Christ, you have every condemnation. It's only waiting the appointed time decreed by God. It's a marvelous reminder to flee to the mercy of God, to sue for peace that only He can give. And to give you by His sovereign grace and power the new birth, which only He can affect. And that from the new birth will come life and joy and peace and something else that's yet to come. A world without end forever and ever. And the fullness of our joy and the promises of God. So this historical event of the birth of the Son of Promise is a wonderful reminder that history meets the redemptive promises of God. God does not lie, cannot lie. His promises are true to us because through faith in Christ, we are the sons of God and the sons of promise and heirs of all of the promises of God. I know if you're like me, you oftentimes come into the sanctuary of God and you're troubled over many, many things. Perhaps something about your past or something that you're working on and that you feel perhaps uh, you are unable to fix or unable to uh, make it come to pass. But 
this text is a greater reminder. We live in a fallen world. Men are going to lie. They're going to promise to us wittingly and unwittingly. Many of those promises will never come to pass. Not so God. Not so God in His grace. If He can give Abraham and Sarah a son, He can come for you at the appointed time of His choosing. He can give you salvation, peace, justification, begin your sanctification, and remind you continually and perpetually that you are a son of promise. And you are an heir. The heir of all of the promises of God to Abraham and to his greater son, Jesus Christ. May that steal us. Fill us with hope. Because of the bright promise of a world yet to come without end and full of glory and joy. And may these promises keep us and hold us because our future is certain without a doubt because God is true and all of His promises will meet fulfillment.